Pastor Mark got a better reception at the 8.30 service. Don't worry. <laughs> Chipper people wake up early. It's my pleasure to greet you all. We're gathered here at Black Knoll in the name and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Whether it's your first time as an interim pastor, it's your first Sunday here, or it's your first Sunday and you're sitting in the back hoping no one will notice you, uh, we are gathered by the spirit of the risen Lord, and we belong because of him. Would you let us know that you're here, whether you're a visitor or a longtime attender, sign there's a black friendship pad, plastic pad at the end of your pew, sign that. If you have any updated address, contact information, we're glad to know that as well. Well, in most places, it seems like it's been Christmas since October, but here at Black Knoll, we're in the season of Advent. We are choosing to use the church's calendar, not because it is law, but because it is useful to us. Our lives are so oriented to the academic calendar, to the commercial calendar, do I need to buy Halloween candy or Christmas presents? We need every tool we can use to be oriented to the story of God in Christ. And so we make use of the church's calendar. And the church in its wisdom has said we need four weeks to prepare before we get to this feast of Christmas. And so during this season of Advent, we are preparing by stepping away from the Gospel of Mark and turning to the story of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Luke. Luke punctuates this story with a number of songs. Last week, Dave preached to us Mary's song, and today we'll pick up the story with Simeon's song. Nope, that's next week. Zechariah's song. Don't worry, I got the right text. Just a little preview. Zechariah's song this morning. So turn in your pew Bibles to page 1026. I'll begin reading with verse 57. Hear the word of the Lord. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father. If you'll recall earlier in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, an angel appears to Zechariah and says, your wife's going to have a son, and he says, how can this be? And the angel says, just be quiet and think about it. So he's struck mute. And so they make signs to Zechariah to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, the child's name is John. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. 
His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the path of peace. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What do you do or see or hear first thing in the morning? Maybe you wake up to the sound of a barking dog or a crying baby or a noisy roommate or the sound of an alarm or a snooze ringing in your ears. Perhaps you get out of bed when the first light floods in your window, or you jump up while it's still dark outside. Or, teenagers, young adults, if you can get away with it, you get up when breakfast is long over and lunch is near. Do you have anything like a morning routine? Making coffee, getting cereal, perhaps sitting down with some scripture, or news, or, oh, I hope not email. Maybe your unintended routine is hurry, throwing on your clothes, grabbing your backpack, barely making the bus. Or if you're like me, your routine, well, it exists mainly up here because every morning seems to start with its own surprises. As I've reflected on our text this week, I've been reminded of my morning routine in a different season of life during the three years of divinity school and shortly thereafter. At that time, to wake up was to see that pile of homework waiting for me just on my desk over there. To open the Bible and pray was, well, to find myself distracted by questions of Form criticism and source criticism or theological interpretation, unstructured time, unfamiliar tasks, expectations. They were there to greet me at the start of every day. Sounds kind of nice, actually, in my memory. But in real time, it was overwhelming. But each morning, I was fortunate. I was lucky to be able to hop on my bike and ride over to our Black Knoll's neighbor, St. Joseph's. They hosted a morning breakfast there that many of you are familiar with. 
And at that time, the morning breakfast was a daily event, both for the local homeless and for those coming for morning prayer. During that season at St. Joe's, I learned to appreciate two things. First, the regular breakfast fare, hard-boiled eggs mashed into grits. It's actually really good. And I became more familiar with the practice of fixed-hour prayer. Since before anyone can accurately date, Christians have responded to the injunction to pray without ceasing by creating liturgies for prayer together at certain hours of the day. When I could not muster the patience or attention or praise myself, meeting with a few others to go through a familiar, quiet liturgy of praise and petition was such a gift to me, one that has continued to bless me through the seasons and shape my habits of prayer. Each morning we would read different scriptures and pray for different people, but one thing never changed. Morning to morning, we recited the Benedictus, the Latin name for Zechariah's song that we just read. At the start of the day, we would take on our lips and recite together what Zechariah prophesied. And it wasn't just something that we were doing over there. It wasn't just something Episcopalians or Catholics in the West were doing but also in the East. Christians have been beginning their day with Zechariah. All the songs that Luke writes in, the first, in, the, in these first few chapters, Mary's song, Zechariah's song, Simeon's song, they all get incorporated into daily prayers, much like the Psalms. But I found myself wondering why Zechariah's song in the morning. Why does the church start its day with Zechariah? Why might you start your day with Zechariah when you have the choice of any number of devotionals, news briefings, morning shows? What do you need to remember at the start of each day from Zechariah's song? What do you need to remember each morning from Zechariah? Well, when his mouth is finally opened and his tongue set free, Zechariah proclaims, while he proclaims more than he could possibly know, Luke calls it prophecy. Zechariah prophesies to the awestruck crowds and to us that God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who rescued Israel from the hand of her enemy Pharaoh so that she might serve the Lord, the God who made a covenant with David and spoke through the prophets, that God was acting again. The Lord is coming, Zechariah says. Prepare the way. And Zechariah likens the Lord's coming. Did you catch this? He likens it to the breaking of dawn. When the sun rises and the shadowy world once again becomes hospitable. When for just a moment the familiar landscape becomes beautiful. And even the darkest darkness is driven away. Everything is transfigured by the morning light. So is the advent of the Lord. 
With his coming into the world, the dawn from on high breaks upon us, this creation plunged into darkness. A people living always in the shadow of death, that's us. We are gently wakened by the light of Christ. We no more summon him, we no more bid him to come than we command the sun to rise. But like the dawn, our Savior comes of his own accord, according to his nature. He comes, Zechariah says, in tender mercy. Or as in the translation I'm most familiar with, he comes in tender compassion. How easy it is for this prophetic word to be for us old news. There's a priest in Los Angeles who spent his career working with gang members. Some of you have perhaps heard of him. His name is Father Greg Boyle. And Boyle writes about a class that he taught in California's Folsom Prison. The inmates wanted to learn from him, but they were resistant to studying the Bible. So Boyle taught a course on theological issues and short fiction. <clears throat> One day, his students were discussing the transformation of the grandmother in Flannery O'Connor's story, A Good Man is Hard to Find. The men were using words like sympathy, empathy, and compassion interchangeably, and Boyle asked his class to define their terms. Now, in his recollection, this question was as much an effort to stall until the bell as any profound pedagogical plan. But here is what he heard. Someone quick, quickly raised his hand. Sympathy is when your homie's mom dies and you go up to him and say, sorry about your mom. Someone else followed. Empathy is when you go up and say, sorry about your mom. My mom died six months ago. Aphelia. What about compassion? Boyle asked. No takers. Finally, someone tentatively raised his hand and began to speak slowly. Compassion, compassion is something altogether different, he said. Well, compassion, that's what Jesus did. Compassion is God. And I think he's right. In its most basic sense, compassion means to suffer with someone. Whatever our modern distinctions between sympathy, empathy, and compassion, the etymology, the origin of the word compassion comes from the Latin cum and the verb pati, to bear, suffer with. To have compassion is to be a co-sufferer, to suffer with someone. And isn't that exactly what the incarnation is all about? At Christmas, the Lord comes into the world, but in a different way. He doesn't come in the way he's acted in the past or will come in the future. In the incarnation, the Lord comes not as Israel knew him in the Exodus, as the mighty arm who battled Pharaoh and his army. In the incarnation, the Lord comes not as John sees him in the book of Revelation, as we will meet him at his return, 
as the judge who sets the world to right. Now at Christmas, Christ comes as a child. The Lord of heaven and earth comes into the world as a helpless babe. God comes as a man. Why? For this reason, so that he might share in our sufferings. As we sing in that Advent song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, he comes to taste our sadness, even as he comes to save us. This is what you need to remember as you open your eyes and your feet hit the floor, as you begin to work and pray each day. You wake in a world that is known by God in all of its groaning. And as surely as the sun rises each day, the Lord has come to us in compassion, and he will come again. Each morning, Zechariah reminds us of the tender compassion of our God. And each morning, we have the opportunity to proclaim God's compassion anew, And like Zechariah's son, John, to take up the charge to prepare the way for the Lord. To be a people who have on offer the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, who walk in the way of peace, whatever the day may bring. What if you woke each day in the knowledge of God's compassion and the calling to prepare the way for the Lord? How would it change the way you greet your roommate or read the news or approach a stranger? I think Zechariah is one of the easier characters for us to relate to in the, Christ, in the Christmas story because he is a religious man. He's the kind of person who would be here on a Sunday morning, isn't he? He's trying to be faithful in the ways that he knows to know God. And indeed, Luke tells us he is. But when Zechariah is told that God has heard your prayers, that what you have longed for, Zechariah, will indeed come to pass, he just can't believe it. Though he knows God's track record of coming through, Though he has the word of God on the authority of an angel, God's promises just seem too grand, too unbelievable. So the Lord gives him time to think about it. Nine months of silence. When we meet Zechariah again, it's in the context of another regular religious rite, circumcision on the eighth day. But this very familiar ceremony becomes for Zechariah the opportunity to respond in obedience to God as he scratches on the name, on the slate, the name the angel told him, John. Though perhaps some among us have had an angelic visitation and received a promise from the Lord just for us, I dare say most haven't. But I dare say that for every one of us, the promises that the angel has given us, that Mary has borne the Son of God, that Christ, who is risen into heaven, will return, I dare say that on most days, those promises are just too hard 
to believe. A savior who suffers with us? Perhaps that's just too grand. But maybe this year, in the familiar ceremony of Christmas, you will find that like Zechariah, your tongue is set free to praise the Lord. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Let's pray together. Lord, give us ears to hear your word. You have come, and you will come again. Help us to know your tender mercy, the depths of your compassion, especially in our grief, our sorrow. Make us beacons of your mercy given to us and on offer to all those who walk in darkness. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing a new song. We're going to sing uh, Zechariah's song with Zechariah, the song of praise to God. As you find the melody, please do join in. <laughs> 